Lamentations, an introduction, mourning for Jerusalem. As the story has it, Napoleon was walking through a small village in France when he heard weeping coming from inside a small ramshackle building nearby. The sound was enough to stop Napoleon in his tracks and compel him to investigate this commotion. As he entered the building, he happened upon a group of Jews sprawled pathetically across a stone floor, reading a scroll by candlelight, weeping as they read. In astonishment, Napoleon turned to his men, wanting to know what great calamity had befallen the Jewish people for them to weep in such a way. One enlightened French officer, who also happened to be Jewish, explained to him that the date was the ninth Av in the Jewish calendar, commonly called Tisha B'Av. According to Jewish tradition, it was on this very day that both the first and second temples were destroyed, and thus becoming a universal day of mourning throughout the centuries of exile. Napoleon, astonished by the constancy of this tradition, is reported to have responded with the words, A nation that cries and fasts for over 2,000 years for their land and temple will surely be rewarded with their temple. Of course, the scroll being read on that day, and on every Tisha B'Av, was Megalat Aisha, Hebrew, the scroll of How or what we refer to today as the Book of Lamentations. Every year, the Jewish people relive the destruction of the temple through the emotive words of Jeremiah in the Book of Lamentations. For thousands of years, these words, perhaps more than any other scripture, have been used to keep the pain of the destruction of the temple and its city alive in the national memory of Israel. The Book of Lamentations explores the theme of suffering on both a personal and communal level. Rather than being written as a dedicated piece on the meaning of suffering, like the book of Job perhaps, it is a series of reflections or emotional responses to the fall of Jerusalem. It is set at a crucial juncture in the story of God's people, written during a time when it felt as though the hope of Israel was in tatters. The book becomes part of the scaffolding that would help the Jews navigate their way through terrible loss, whether that might be grieving for loved ones, or for their loss as a nation. We have no record and no way of knowing how many Jews may have lost their faith during this era, but one thing could be said for sure. This book had a huge impact on the way that exiles came to interpret the meaning of the Babylonian exile and beyond. This book was almost certainly written by Jeremiah the prophet under inspiration, as he sat in the ruins of Jerusalem after the Babylonian invasion in 586 BC. However, as the pain of the exile continue to unfold across the centuries, the laments have only increased in their relevance and pathos, because they became prophetic of the suffering that must come before redemption. While Jeremiah was inspired to write about the scene that he saw in front of his eyes so long ago, his words would become prophetic of events far into the future, when the cycle of history would repeat itself in later generations of Israelites. Below are a few examples of how the words of Jeremiah, through the Spirit, became prophecies of later tragedies. She dwelleth among the nations, she findeth no rest, chapter 1, verse 3. While this may have immediately applied to the first exile lasting 70 years in Babylon, it became a portent of a later dispersion that would follow, lasting 2,000 years. 
The roads to Zion do mourn. Chapter 1 verse 4. Jeremiah reminisced about the multitudes that previously ascended to Jerusalem to keep the feasts in contrast to the scenes of loneliness he saw in front of him. But surely Jeremiah could not have conceived just how long this loneliness would last after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 1870. In 1835, Alphonse de Limatim travelled to Palestine and wrote the following about the city of Jerusalem. Outside the gates of Jerusalem we saw, indeed, no living object, heard no living sound. We found the same void, the same silence as we should have found before the entombed gates of Pompeii. Herculaneum. Complete, eternal silence reigns in the towns, the highways in the country. He hath given up into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. Chapter 2, verse 7. Lamentations was written as Babylon subdued the nation of Judah and seized control of the palaces of the royal city. But this was only the beginning. Even a cursory glance at the history of this city will reveal the plethora of Gentile nations that have occupied Jerusalem's palaces. During its long history, Jerusalem has been attacked 42 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times and destroyed twice. In 586 BC, the words of Lamentations were only in the embryonic stage of their fulfilment. The children and the suckling swoon in the streets of the city. Chapter 2, verse 11. This describes the starvation faced by the remnant in the war-torn city as the aftershocks of the invasion were felt. But these words become relevant in otherwise terrible moments of Jewish history. One of the many examples of this might be the fate of the inhabitants of the Warsaw Ghetto in the Second World War. The Warsaw Ghetto Hunger Study was carried out by Jewish doctors who were imprisoned in the Warsaw Ghetto in 1942. Intent on starving the ghetto within short time frames, the Nazis allowed no more than a daily intake of 180 calories per prisoner. The study manuscript, completed by 28 doctors under appalling conditions, was smuggled out of the ghetto and kept by a Polish doctor before being published in 1946. Similar stories of hunger are recounted in many ghettos and concentration camps during the Second World War. The examples above are a small glimpse into a phenomenon that runs throughout the book, While the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem was the immediate context, this book was written as a prophecy of suffering throughout the ages. It could be described as a poetic form of Deuteronomy 28, the famous blessing and cursing chapter in the law. Lamentations describes the reality of the curses of the law through a graphic and emotive lens. In fact, there are many textual connections between the two passages. One of the sobering reflections upon Lamentations as a prophecy is that there is still one more chapter of suffering to be written in the Jewish story. The Spirit's words in this book have not yet reached the full completion. Surely there will come to life a final time when the latter-day Assyrian will plant his tabernacle between the two seas. How real this lament will sound when the nations gather to afflict God's people one final time. It seems like a virtual certainty that the words of lamentations will again be recounted and rehearsed in the minds of the faithful in Israel. Perhaps the Spirit's words in this book will become instrumental in the repentance of God's people by helping them to see the meaning behind their suffering and be led to the Lord Jesus Christ. The last verses of the book will finally become a reality. Turn thou unto us, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Chapter 5, verse 21. 
At its heart, Lamentations is a parable about sin, forgiveness and returning to God. This begins as Jerusalem, personifying the nation, recognising her sin and declaring that Yahweh is righteous. As the book progresses, the emphasis underlines the point that the destruction of Jerusalem is directly from God. While God used a Gentile nation to bring about this destruction, they were merely tools used providentially by God to bring about his purpose. This concept is familiar, since there are many examples of God bringing punishment through the surrounding nations. A classic example of this is the coming of the Son of Man, referred to throughout the New Testament. In many cases, although not exclusively, this was a prophecy of Christ coming at the head of the Roman army to be personally involved in the destruction of Jerusalem. Whether the destruction came from Babylon or Rome, all ultimately came at the hand of God. In the middle of the graphic descriptions of Jerusalem, we are introduced to the enigmatic figure called the man that hath seen affliction. This man is presented to us as a representation of the whole nation. The same terms that were originally used to describe the affliction of the nation are now used in the context of the individual. He becomes a microcosm of the national experience of Israel. The affliction of the man is so like the nation that it has led to some commentators concluding that the man of chapter 3 is an everyman, not a particular person, but anyone who experienced the invasion. This view is not sustainable, particularly in light of the almost explicit references to Jeremiah's own life. Nevertheless, this demonstrates how comparable the experience of the man and the nation are. The Spirit uses the perspective of this man to explain the meaning behind the suffering and bring a glimmer of hope to an otherwise hopeless book. As the book progresses, the man becomes the inspiration or the catalyst to bring Israel back to God, calling for a national repentance. While it is impossible to miss the experiences of Jeremiah and this man, beyond this we see a compelling type of Christ, as Luke 24 verse 46 states, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. In Lamentations we find one of the most poignant prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures of the suffering of Messiah. Unsurprisingly, there are many textual connections to the suffering servant, prophecy in Isaiah 53. Isaiah describes the nation as a servant, and then singles out one individual who comes to embody what it means to be the servant. Where the nation failed, the individual servant would succeed. Similarly, Lamentations presents the sufferings of the nation, followed by the individual who embodies all the same suffering and reminds people about the mercy of God. This man suffered in the same way as the nation. He was touched with our infirmities and yet without sin. And yet becomes the messenger of hope. While we are not told explicitly who wrote the book of Lamentations, there seems little reasonable doubt that Jeremiah was the inspired penman, writing a poetic sequel to his prophecy. The book of Jeremiah ends with the heartbreaking picture of Nebuchadnezzar's army destroying Jerusalem and burning the temple. While Jeremiah 52 is written as a narrative, Lamentations reflects on the same historical event from an emotive and poetic perspective. Some of the experiences of Jeremiah appear to be recounted in Lamentations, with the most prominent of these being the dungeon scene described in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 53. They have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. This fits with Jeremiah's experiences in chapters 37 and 38. There are many examples of similarities in language between Jeremiah and Lamentations. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 3, we read of the name Magor Misabib, 
and its meaning is used a number of times in the prophecy. Lamentations uses the word in the plural form. Thou hast called, as in a solemn day, my terrors round about. There are numerous message similarities between Jeremiah and Lamentations. Both include vivid descriptions of the siege and fall of the city, with seeming outbursts of emotion from the writer interspersed. And both books not only describe the fall of Jerusalem, but also the bright future or the consolation that will come in the day when the exiles return, accompanied with expressions of God's faithfulness. God's message to his people was brought to them at the cost of immense personal sacrifice and struggle for Jeremiah himself. In fact, his life is perhaps one of the loneliest and saddest in the whole of Scripture. His message, for the most part, was one of destruction, humiliation, and subjection for his people, and, despite his love for them, he became Jerusalem's pariah and a traitor figure in their eyes. While his work began in a time of reformation, as he worked hand in hand with Josiah, the nation very quickly spiralled downhill, as Nebuchadnezzar's armies loomed even larger. Lamentations is the scriptural proof or vindication of Jeremiah's melancholy words. While Jeremiah would have felt no joy in the destruction of his city, the message that he had faithfully delivered to the people, despite their mocking and cruelty, would finally be vindicated. The structure of the Book of Lamentations has been shaped by the Hebrew alphabet. Chapters 1, 2 and 4 are alphabetic acrostics. This means that each stanza or verse begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3 is written with the same structure, but instead of each stanza beginning with a different letter, the stanzas are grouped together in sets of three. Therefore, the first three stanzas each begin with Aleph, the second three with Beit, etc. This means the chapter has a total of 66 verses instead of the usual 22. Chapter 5 presents an intriguing puzzle. It is written with 22 stanzas, just as with the previous chapters, except that there is no alphabetic acrostic. It is as if this chapter was set up to be an acrostic, but fell short of the finished piece. A possible reason for this could be that the lament becomes more urgent as the book progresses. Perhaps the Spirit intended us to feel the distress and heartbreak of the people as the rhythm falls apart, as far as the acrostic is concerned. This fits with the context, as chapter 5 is the people's prayer, a communal cry to God that reflects the voice of the whole group. While the first four chapters could be described as a highly formal expression of grief, with perfectly fitting acrostics, chapter 5 is more of a collective, emotional outburst or cry to God. Lamentations utilises a kinnah, that is used in some passages to mourn the dead or fallen nations, for example, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 27. The Talmud identifies and explains this genre of mourning literature, a kinnah, as meaning elegies or dirges. The metre or rhythm of a kinnah is based on two lines of unequal parts. The first line will often consist of three words, with the second line consisting of two words. In this way, the cadence in the Hebrew appears to rise and fall, resulting in the poem limping towards the finish. It is said to have been used so as to create the image of a person walking haltingly behind a funeral procession. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Many of the blessings recounted by Christ during his teaching on the mount find their source or counterpart in the prophecy of Isaiah. 
In this case, Isaiah 66 verse 10, Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her. Christ is not exclusively referring to those that might be mourning because of a tragedy in their own personal lives. The mourners he is envisaging are mourners in the same sense as described in Isaiah. It is those who mourn in the grand scheme of things, that is, those who mourn for the plight of Jerusalem, or that God's purpose is not yet fulfilled. This spirit is demonstrated through the example of men like Daniel or Nehemiah, who fasted for weeks because of their overflowing love towards God's people. If we do not mourn with Jerusalem today, how can we expect to share in the joy of the kingdom age when Jerusalem is exalted? If we are cold and dispassionate towards the things of Zion today, then why would we expect this to magically change in the future? If we want to share in the joy that will be heard in the streets of Jerusalem, then we must mourn for Jerusalem now. We must go on a journey with Jeremiah through the desolate streets of Jerusalem as the meaning behind the destruction is revealed to him. Lamentations allows us to relive the Babylonian invasion in our mind's eye, making the central message of hope more powerful. Mm-hmm.